welcome to Conversations About Life. Hi, Abby. Hi, Ellie. <laughs> welcome to Conversations About Life. Thank this you. This is the episode where I hijack my dad's podcast to get to interview my friends. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> so I'll just introduce you and then you fill in the rest, whatever I'm All right, okay. sounds so good. We met almost 10 years ago. Oh my gosh, be... has it really been that long? Yeah. I'm about to turn 26 and I was 16 when we met. Wow. Yeah. It's wow. our 10 year anniversary. What are we going to do? <laughs> you can go get some ice cream or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Mm, baby. I will never forget the day that I first met you I remember I was struggling with a lot of loneliness um because we had just moved back into town from um Lamont Missouri and I came back and my main group of friends had actually moved away and so I was I was very lonely and I'll just never forget like walking into the church and you know you get that new church um nervousness like you know yeah. all that you're not yes. the in person yeah. you're walking in and all these people like it's know each other and love each other and you're just a newbie and I'll never forget you walked up to me and you said hi my name's <laughs> Ellie what's your name and I was just like oh <laughs> my name's <is> Abby <laughs> Yeah, so we met at church, and did. that's been obviously a really important part to our friendship is yes. growing in the Lord together and following Him together. And, yes. Um, it's been, wow, it's been, yeah, a cool 10 years doing that. And then yeah. both of us getting married. We yes. have two children each. Yes. <laughs> it's so weird to think about that. Yeah. So you have two little boys, Elliot and Heath. Yes. What are their ages? Yes. Oh. Elliot is actually about to turn three on, uh, well, in July, um, July 18th. So, you know, not yeah. too far away from your birthday. And then Heath is almost one and a half. Yeah. Yes. And they weigh about the same. Yeah. Which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> But they are so much fun. (laughs) I enjoy it. Uh, And I just had Titus a few months ago. So if you hear fussing throughout the episode, uh, that's that's Titus. (laughs) He's three months old now. Um, Okay. So obviously, uh, like I said, we're both Christian. Tell me how that started for you. How did you become a Christian? When did that become important in your life? Mm, Wow. So I grew up in a Christian home. Um, Both my parents, devout believers, love the Lord. And yeah, grew up in church all my life, going to church religiously every Sunday. And um, I I remember being seven years old and I understood heaven and hell and I knew I didn't want to go to hell. Um, and so I remember, I remember talking to my parents about wanting to be saved. And so I actually got baptized when I was seven, but I realized that back then I had no understanding of my sin Mm -hmm. I mean how can you at Mm -hmm. seven years old that somebody had to die in your place had Mm -hmm. to be whiplash to the point that their bones were showing and um their in parts were you know were coming out for you um I didn't get that and just over the next several years, I really struggled with my assurance of salvation because I would watch my parents, the way that they lived and the way that they talked about God, I couldn't say the same for myself. The way that they would talk about how much they loved the Lord and how he was their everything and he was really Mm. the glue that held them together. Mm. I didn't understand that. I thought, wow, I just don't really know what that feels like or I don't know what that is as a reality. So, um my salvation story is like really long. I really don't know the day of my, that the the Lord saved me, Uh but I remember being about 11 years old and we would go camping, um, at St. Francis state park, uh, just about every single fall. And I remember just what I really think was the Holy spirit, just feeling his presence. And it scared me because Hmm. I didn't know the Lord. And I realized, and and I was shaken within my soul that I didn't know him personally. And so that trip was actually really miserable for me. I remember talking to my dad about spiritual stuff quite a bit and not really enjoying the trip because I was just 
thinking about me and the Lord so much. So I don't know if actually God saved me around that time. Um, but I know from there on out that I just started crying out to the Lord and I asked him to save me. And so about a year later, we moved out to Show Me Christian Youth Home where my dad was the um, uh, co-manager, co-operator, uh, whatever, of mm-hmm. um, Show Me Christian mm-hmm. Youth Home. And during that time, we went to a really solid you know, church where they didn't sugarcoat the gospel and they didn't make you feel good about yourself. They just talked about Christ and how lovely he is and what our position is before him. And that is when I just, I really hunkered down, I want to say, on my spiritual life and just realizing who I, I think that was when I really began around when I was 12 years old to see who I truly was before God. Um, also during that time, I met my now husband, Isaac Lancaster. And so that was a little bit of distraction from my um, <laughs> spiritual journey there. <laughs> um, but sadly enough, like a year and a half into that ministry, my parents decided that we needed to leave and come back to St. Charles. So we did. And I'm actually really grateful that the Lord um, took uh, brought us back here to St. Charles because we found Rockport Baptist Church, which is where you and I met. Mm-hmm. And um, during that time, I was very much crushing on my on my husband now. And um, it was taking up a lot of my thoughts. And I wasn't... It was being so consuming thinking about him that I wasn't having the proper focus on the Lord. And so moving, moving away, I believe was kind of a saving grace. The Lord Uh used that time to really just have me focus on him. And so, um, my parents were extremely influential in my salvation. Mm -hmm. I do not believe that I would be saved today if it wasn't for my parents. And especially my dad was really huge. Like my mom, I would go to her about like all of the girl questions, you know, and with my dad, I just really looked to him to be my spiritual leader. And, um, so I just remember, you know, in church you hear, you just got to have enough faith and God will save you. You know, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, God will save you. And so I thought, well, all my life I just thought, well, after, after I realized I wasn't saved, I realized I just got to have enough faith and then God will save me. And what I didn't realize was that I was relying on myself to have enough mm-hmm. of something to be enough for God. And... I remember one night I was, I was 15 years old and I went to my dad and I was just so burdened over my state. And I really, I really wanted to know the Lord. I wanted him to be my savior. And I'm kind of wondering if I was already saved because I was so burdened about my Mm -hmm. relationship with God and somebody who is, doesn't know the Lord isn't burdened, um, for their, for their soul and for their state. They just want to go their own way. And he looked at me and he said, he said, Abby, do you trust Jesus to save you and a wall that I felt like had been between God and I for like four or five years just all of a sudden came crashing down and it was like I was seeing the light and I just started crying and I said dad that's it that's it I haven't trusted God to save me because for somehow in my brain I had always separated faith and trust but, they're the, mm-hmm. but in that moment, I realized that they're the same thing. Mm-hmm. I just had to, you know, as Christ is, is, my, is my bridge between myself and the Lord, I just had to step onto that bridge knowing that it was going to hold me up. And, and I, don't, I don't, like I said, I don't know when the Lord saved me. It might have been at that moment. But I remember just a few months later, we were at the Grace Camp meeting and we were with our church and we were um, in the, the temple, I think it was called. We were outside just worshiping the Lord. And I don't remember what song it was, but I wish I could. And I just realized in that moment, standing there singing that I was for the first time singing the words for myself at age 15 or 16, like really singing them to the Lord, really worshiping the Lord. So I think it was around that time that the Lord saved me. So, and I was baptized again for the second time when I was about 16 years old. And then from there, I really struggled with my assurance. And that's actually mm-hmm. been a, um, a walk I've, I've had to go through mm-hmm. quite a bit in my life, just when I felt shaken the most. Um, am I really saved and like working through that 
and realizing it's just re- it's resting in the Lord. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That's the that, that's the shortest way I can answer that question about how I met the Lord and how yeah. the Lord saved me. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I do want to get into more of the influences of your life because you mentioned your your parents and different events. Yes. I remember too when I was saved, I thought, okay, God saved me. Now I have to walk in Him, and mm. it took me maybe a few years. Um, but <laughs> I got to Galatians where he's like, oh, foolish Galatians, you know, do you think you like now having been saved in Christ, are you going to walk in the flesh? Like, yeah. yeah. He says like, no, just as you were saved in the spirit, yeah. you have to walk in the spirit. Right. And uh, right. so that's been a struggle for me too. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned your parents and different events. Yes. Have there ever or been any other like influential um, books or people or um even just lessons that have really mm-hmm. helped you in your Christian walk. Actually, one thing that I'm really grateful that you did, I think it was around the time you graduated. I remember when you graduated, uh, you had a pamphlet or something that you wrote your testimony on. Mm-hmm. And I held on to that. I don't remember how long I held on to it, but, mm-hmm. but I was so thankful that you did that because hearing how the Lord had saved you, you know, my peer, um, and that you really loved him was was so was such a testimony to me, and I would say the Lord used that just so many different things to bring me to Himself and to influence me in my life. But that was that was one thing that influenced me most definitely was your testimony and how the Lord had just you know poured His Holy Spirit into you. Um, other people, I w- yeah, definitely my parents have been just the foundation that has shaped me mm-hmm. and sculpted me in my life. Even now as an adult and a wife and a mm-hmm. mom, I am constantly going to them for advice. You know, uh, my husband and I are constantly going to them for how do we handle, you know, things with Elliot or, you know, things in our marriage or things with, you know, just a bunch of other areas in our lives. Um, I would say also, um, a dear friend from Rockport, Darla Ferguson was my first mentor and I think she and I began a relationship when she's pretty much when she stopped um, teaching Sunday school, which was really sad for me because I really enjoyed her. <laughs> and um, I didn't want to lose a friendship that we had begun. So I went to her and I was like, you know, would you be OK with maybe like walking alongside of me? And this was when I was yeah. about 15. And so she really in those next several years, um, she really started pouring out um, her wisdom and her grace on me. And she and I just like really got along well. And I really love her husband, Doug and, um, Isaac really loves him. And they're just, they, it's funny cause they kind of remind me of my parents. And I think that's hmm. why I get along with Darla so well. She reminds me of my mom. <laughs> um, let's see several other people. Um, gosh, I read a lot of books. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's called, justification and regeneration by charles lighter i might be getting that title wrong uh that book was so influential in my life i would encourage anybody who's a new believer or you know a long time believer just it is so refreshing in the gospel in who we are Mm -hmm. in christ um that was huge um i've read a lot of older books um older authors in my life and i think that has really shaped my thinking too and Actually, I think it's shaped my vocabulary sometimes, so (laughs) as interesting as that may be. Um, But then there's several other people. My my pastor's wife, she's so sweet. Um, Leah Kolb, she has been beside me in some of the toughest times of my life Mm -hmm. within just the past like two or three years. She's been there, Mm -hmm. um, and she's also had to kick my rear a few times and, you know, loving and and love say, you know, you're going the wrong way and... Um, let's see a few other people, definitely my, my friends, you have been very influential in my life. Um, I have my friend Michaela, her, she's, she's been there with me and she's become a very dear friend. Definitely my sisters, they're there for me Mm -hmm. and, um, they're like my ultimate best friends. Mm -hmm. Um, and then... And then let's see, there's a few other, there's a few other women that are like starting to actually come into my life right now that are being influential. So. Okay. Speaking of people, go ahead and tell me about you and Isaac. Oh my goodness. Uh, well we met when we were 12 and 13 and at first I, I, I was just first friends with his sisters and really enjoyed being around them. And it wasn't long after that, that. Isaac and I started to become friends and 
Uh, I pretty much from the get-go had a horrible crush on him. <laughs> and uh, under my mom's counsel and guidance, I never. I always tried to hide it from him that I was deeply attracted to him. I didn't want it to mar our friendship. I want. I knew that it was important to be friends first before we had any okay. type of emotional or even physical relationship. Um, but also, I'm 12 years old. I don't know who God has for me. I. But my mom really encouraged me to pray about the man I would one day marry. So I kept a journal. I actually would record prayers for him. Um, I didn't know that I would be marrying him, but, uh, over my teenagehood, I would just pray for my future husband. I would pray for his purity. I would pray that he would have a heart for God and a heart for children and a heart for his wife. And so when we, when we moved away and we left that church, um, I, let's see, I remember I still, I still was just crushing on him really, really bad and was trying to give it over, over to the Lord. And what's funny is, is that if Isaac talks about our story, he'll say he actually didn't really begin to crush on me until after we left, <laughs> which is so funny. <laughs> um, but we got to see each other for maybe for the next several years, we saw each other maybe one to one to two times a year. So really not that much. Um, and during that time, other guys would come in and out of my life and nobody, I would always tell my mom, yeah, but so-and-so is just not like Isaac. And, (laughs) and I just really admired him because, um, he and his siblings always included the little kids. So whether we were playing games at church or whatever, it didn't matter if they were five years old or 15 years old, they were included in the games we played. And I just noticed he was, he was respectful of women. Um, he was respectful to his mom. Um, and he, uh, was very Like I said, kind to children. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest things that stuck out to me was that I don't ever remember him flirting with me. We were always just friends and I never, he never made me feel like I was just there to give him like an emotional high. I feel like there's some guys out there that they want to be your friend or they just want your attention because it feels good to them, you know? And of course we, we as girls do that, you know, we want, um, emotional relationships that'll even make us feel good. Um, but I always just felt like he was my, he was, he was my friend and we just had really good conversations about the Lord. Um, I knew he, I knew he loved the Lord based on what he would talk about and where, what he was doing in life. He had a job at age 15 and that really stuck out to me too. So, um, so the years go by and we're 18 and 19 and I was still very much attracted to him and, not, you know, not knowing if, if he returned that, but I remember I was about 16 or 17 years old and I, I just kind of came to this place where I had this peace that I was going to be his wife. And it is really weird to, to say that, but I even remember right before his, uh, brother drowned in mm-hmm. Africa before that ever happened, I was about to go on a mission trip with Psalm 67 and I was sitting across from my mom one morning because we would have coffee together in the mornings and I said mom I just have this peace that I'm gonna marry Isaac and I'm not really excited about it (laughs) I wasn't like I'm gonna marry Isaac I I was just more like okay the sky is blue um grass is green and I'm gonna marry Isaac and that was kind of it (laughs) and she she was like oh okay okay, you know, (laughs) but she said that was the first time that she was ever like, whoa, maybe God's actually doing something here. And little did I know that they were actually praying, um, for several years about Isaac and I specifically, uh, they had seen him as a good fit for me, which is hilarious. Uh, so we just, yeah, we, I had a piece that I was going to be his wife. And then there's a whole funny story there about some other girl in Africa that I thought that he was interested in and thought he was in a relationship with, but he wasn't. And so I thought that he, he was lost to me forever. And I won't get into all the details of that because it's a really long story. But, um, when he came back from Africa, that's when he pursued me. 
um, for a courtship relationship, and we were married like ooh, eight months after that. So very very fast. Yeah. But we had known each other for right. like six years. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was it was so relieving to me to finally like we took a walk together. Um, the day that he came to ask if he could court me, he he uh, I was sitting on my bed in, in my in my bedroom and I was studying for my finals because um, I was getting certified as a, a CNA. And my dad walks in into my bedroom and he said, "Abby, there's someone here to see you." And I got up from my bed and I walked over to the hallway and I turn and there is Isaac standing there with a white rose in his hand with this like <laughs> with this like nervous smile on his face. And, and my dad goes, "Abby, Isaac has come asking if he can court you, and I have said yes." And, and I stood like in between both of them and I was like. Yes, 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 I want to court him. And, and I threw my arms around Isaac and gave him a big hug. And then after that, we took us this really long walk and we just kind of like poured our ha- hearts out to each other. It was such a precious time of saying, well, we were, we would actually bring up scenarios from the past several years and talk about them. Like, um, what were you thinking at that time when we were hanging out together? Oh, whoa, you were like flirting or something? I didn't know that. And it was, it was just awesome to finally tell him, I have loved you for so long and I am so relieved to see that my feelings are returned. So yeah, that's uh, probably one of the most beautiful parts of our story. Um, and now we have been um, married for almost four four years in September. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, he's still my, he's my best friend. <laughs> yeah. I love you guys. Yeah. Um, you really briefly mentioned when his brother drowned in Africa, yeah. Micaiah, and I knew yeah. him too. Yes. He was also a good friend of yours. Yeah, you actually I, uh, I didn't know Micaiah as well as I wish I had. He was, he was the quiet one yeah, out of the two of them. And, I just kind of looked up to him as maybe an older brother slash friend, but honestly, I, I know him better now, now Mm. that he's gone than I did even before when he was alive. Mm -hmm. Um, Isaac and I more headed off, not so much Micaiah. So Mm -hmm. unfortunately I can't say that I knew Micaiah very well. Um, but I, in a way miss him and I, I feel the void that my children don't have him as an uncle because I know he would just be like the greatest uncle in the world. Um, and I, I miss him for Isaac's sake because, you know, sometimes you just need your brothers, you need your family. And Isaac and Micaiah were, had just like their relationship had gotten to a really good place right before he died. And Mm -hmm. I know Isaac misses him and misses that fellowship that he had with his brother. Yeah. So, of the Lancasters, I first met Makai and Isaac together when they were visiting Rockport. Yes. Makai yes. was the quiet one. What yes. did impress me about Isaac was his, well, to me, it seemed like <laughs> such big bravery um, <laughs> for him to go speak with like older godly men to yes. the speakers of the conference, you know, instead yes, of, yes. you know, a lot of teenagers were just hanging out with their friends. I admired I was that too. Very impressed. He'd go have yeah. lunch with, you know, the speaker and ask him about what he just you know, talked about what he just taught from the Bible. Yeah. That was yeah, really me too. To me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was watching. And believe me, I was like, darn it, he's not sitting with me. <laughs> yep. Aww. So you got married to Isaac. How long did it take you to get pregnant with Elliot? So we were doing natural family planning and I was still just really learning about my body and mm-hmm. my fertility. And gosh, I mean, when we, when we got married, we were only 19 and 20. So, yeah. um, six week, I think it was about six weeks after we were married. Um, I got pregnant and that was not in our plan. Um, we really wanted to wait about a year just to give us some time to acclimate as newlyweds and um, get close to one another um, and just solidify our relationship. But God obviously had other plans. Um, so Elliot was a surprise. Heath was also a surprise. Um, and, you know, it's it has been a struggle having mm-hmm. kids so early on. Because mm-hmm. I got to watch some of my other married friends um, have have some time with their spouses yeah. before they got pregnant. And that was really hard for me. And the Lord had to really work on me for several years after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, it's not been that long that I've more come to, to peace 
um, knowing that Isaac and I were, I'm about to be 23 and he's about to be 24 and we both have, we have two kids Mm -hmm. and we've bought our first home and, um, we're just plugging along with life. And, um, I really wrestled with the Lord. Like I didn't get the time with Isaac that I wanted to. I thought, Oh, we'll go travel. We'll do all these things together. We didn't get to, we got tied down very quickly. Um, but I don't know if I would be back in St. Charles right now if it wasn't for Elliot, if it wasn't for the fact that I got pregnant and I needed my mom so horribly mm-hmm. um, that we would have moved back. Because when we got married, I moved out um, to Versailles, Missouri, mm-hmm. where he lived. And that was about three hours away from my family. And I was just having um, depression associated mm-hmm. with, like I've heard of a lot of brides actually have depression their first year of marriage, being away from their families and just all the adjustment that that brings. And I was definitely one of those brides, yeah. <laughs> uh, soon turned mother very quickly. Yeah. And so I kind of attribute it to, you know, me getting pregnant so early on that Isaac and I are here and where we are today. Mm-hmm. So yeah. God obviously had uh, bigger and better plans for us than we could have ever designed. (laughs) Yeah. And I know mothering hasn't been the easiest journey for you. How has mothering changed you as a person for better, for worse? Where has you seen grace? All right. Right on cue. We were interrupted. (laughs) Yes. By my sweet child. Talk about how mothering has changed you, where you've seen grace, where you were (sighs) found struggles, maybe where you didn't expect to find it. Well, first of all, I would not be where I am right now if it wasn't for my mom. I jokingly, half jokingly tell her that I would be in an insane asylum if it wasn't for her right now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think the biggest challenge for me has been to have grace on foolishness, probably. Um, I see my greatest struggle will be, especially having boys, and they, you know, boys are very much like... um, I flushed blank down the toilet because I just wanted to see it go down. So do you spank that or not? You know, because it's not, they weren't sinning. Boys are very much, right. what happens They're exploring, if I, right? Yes, yeah. yes, right. yes. Oh, so right. I see having grace on the gray areas is going to be difficult and already has been, but the Lord's given me some direction through some different parenting resources and through um, other people answering my hard questions through life. Um, because I'm a very black and white person. I didn't realize that. I thought oh, I was I was more of a gray area person. Maybe when I was a teenager I was, but now that I'm an adult, I'm very much it's either this or it's that. And it can't always be that way with kids. Mm-hmm. Um right now Elliot needs more rigidity. He needs black and white. He needs clear cut and dry, you know, solutions mm-hmm. and boundaries. Um and the older he gets, the more gray area I know there will be. Um, but for now, I think my biggest struggle has been to be patient with the foolishness and to really keep perspective when they do things like when, when they play in their poop and they smear it on their little brother (laughs) and keeping perspective. Sounds like experience. When that happens. Yes, it is an experience. (laughs) I hope you will never have to deal with. (laughs) So how do I handle myself in that moment? What is like Christ? What would Christ do if Christ was standing there and he was about to get ready to Uh clean up this poopy mess? So that's, um, and I think really just reclaiming joy and mothering. And it really, I have to go back to perspective. Mm -hmm. Having joy and mothering is about perspective. Um, Elliot and Heath are not going to be with me for the rest of my life. Someday Mm -hmm. they'll be gone and they're going to have their own families. And I have such a very short time with them, you know, maybe 18 Mm -hmm. years before they're off and gone and just a very limited amount of time to, to help shape who they become and the men that they will be. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I'm seeing it more as an adventure, as something fun, but there's days where, I just want to break, you know, yeah. I just, I just want to pretend like I don't have kids yeah. and I want to go yeah. do my own thing. And then I have to I have the Lord bring me back that with my second. Circle. It's mm-hmm. like the mothering work. It's not that it's hard. It's that's so constant. It's consuming so yes. much. Every minute and of the even day. when I do get a break to myself, my mind doesn't get a break. Yes. I, I don't, my 
brain never stops thinking about yes. my You always got to be thinking about, are they okay in the next right. room? Yeah. I need to check on them. Yeah, yeah. it's a constant or, job. Yeah. Your job never ends. how they're doing. And yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Definitely true. If there was one life lesson you could impart to your kids, what would it be? Like, if you know nothing else, at least know this. Mm. One thing. <laughs> wow. I think... I know this is maybe just cliche, but that Christ loves you. It, if one one thing that that I want them to remember is that the yeah. question? Yeah. That Christ that Christ loves them, and that His arms are always open to them, no matter what they do, no matter where they go, no matter mm-hmm. how they fail in life. Christ's blood is enough to cover them and they mm-hmm. don't have to um try to earn god's favor through the mm-hmm. way that they live i want them to realize how greatly they are loved by christ and for it to induce a love of serving him and mm-hmm. a life that 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 flows from wow i've been saved so greatly from my sin i want to live um, honoring this person that has saved me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. But I would say, yeah. Yeah. I would say that's the biggest thing. Yeah. For, that I want them to hold on to for the rest of their lives. Right. Because that's their foundation. If they've got that settled, right. they can do anything else in life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have any mottos or like phrases or things that you repeat to yourself? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I want to. I mean, yes. These, okay. These it's things that help you. Oh, hold on to your seatbelt. It's amazing. <laughs> no. Recently, um, my motto has changed in life. Uh, when I was a teenager, it was more "kill two birds with one stone." That was my motto in life. Try to get as much done as possible. Now it's we're all in one piece. I find myself saying that so much. It's not been like a helpful motto or like, you know, my my motto in life. But one thing I found myself saying is, I mean, I will get the boys in the car. We'll be ready to go somewhere and they'll be buckled in their seats and I'll just breathe for a second before I put the car in drive and I'll go, we're all in one piece. We can do this. Uh Here we go. Hands (laughs) on the steering wheel and we go. So no, nothing earth shattering, but that's my new motto. We're all in one piece. (laughs) Yes. There's something to be thankful for. Yes. Yes. And yeah, everybody's pants are clean. (laughs) (laughs) I knew what I've had recently. I guess used to, I had the idea of like, there's always an excuse. You can always find one, but I heard someone Mm. say it well. Um, any excuse will do, right? <laughs> like yeah. you, when you're procrastinating, you're putting something oh off. Goodness, That's yes. been right through my head constantly lately. Yes. It's like, well, yes. any excuse will do, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I don't I'm do it now, tired. I can always find mm-hmm. an excuse later and not yeah. do it later. And um, so. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah. 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 Procrastination. I don't, I have been a procrastinator in the past, but, um, I, I work really hard to get things done. So while I may be procrastinating, it'll get done. I mean, it'll get done eventually. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a oh, sweet baby. Well, is there anything else we should cover? Hmm. I mean, I don't mind to talk about some of the depression and anxiety. Yeah. So... Tell me, yeah, tell me where you are yeah. as, as far as your mental health and yeah. what you've learned about that. Yeah, that has been a very rough journey that I am still, I'm still treading. Mm-hmm. And uh, growing up, a lot of times I was told that I was very optimistic and yeah. just very cheerful yeah. and happy. Um, and I didn't, I, I remember b- being... Um, being called a worry wart sometimes growing up, but I was never clinically diagnosed with anxiety. I was never on medication for it. It wasn't until, until my husband and I got married and I got pregnant so soon that, so what happened, what happened was (laughs) when I moved out there with my husband, there wasn't, there wasn't very many housing options available. So the only thing that we were able to find was a double wide trailer house 
I'm sitting smack dab in the middle of three acres in the middle of Mennonite country. And I'm uh, about 25 minutes away from the nearest town. And my but things started not going well with um, in-laws and mm-hmm. I began to spiral into deep depression. And my house didn't suffer. The meals got cooked. The toilets got cleaned. But by the time I was mm. done with that, I mean, I kind of felt like Rapunzel in my tower. All right, I'm done with everything by 7 a.m. You know, now what? And I was alone for maybe 10 hours a day, five days a week. And I mm-hmm. think that that took a toll on my mental health greater than even I've fully realized mm-hmm. because I'm pregnant. I'm having all of those pregnancy emotions. Yeah, I was yeah. horribly sick, was throwing up everything that I ate. And on top of that, I'm a new wife. Um, and things aren't going well with the in-laws. I'm away from my mom. I need her right. so bad. And here I am in my house and there was also a lot of spiritual stuff going on. Just it felt mm-hmm. like the devil was just breathing down my neck at times, and that made it worse. I was having horrible nightmares. Um, mm-hmm. Waking up, I remember one time waking up screaming in the middle of the night, just horrible nightmares. Um, and so that, there was about 10 months of that. And so when my husband made the, the hard decision to, to move us back, um, I, had, I had Elliot, and he had colic. And that was horrible because for yeah. the next four months or so, his he was in pain. Yeah. He would cry constantly. Yeah. And I'm a new mom. I'm 20 right. years old. And that grates on you quicker yeah. than you could ever realize. Yeah. My patients were very thin. Um, he never not got neglected or anything. But... I was on the verge of like a mental breakdown and I think, I think I, I did hit a mental breakdown at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, we also just had some rough things into our marriage, um, mm-hmm. that made things difficult. Um, I mean, I believe that all couples experience stress within their marriage because it's two different lives coming together and melding those lives and you've got to deal with each other's sin issues and everything's yeah. not hunky dory and the rose colored glasses come off very quickly and you realize oh this romantic person isn't you know everything that your fantasy wanted them to be and it's very you know very selfish um but then about nine months postpartum i got pregnant with heath mm-hmm. and my already shot body just I think, I think it took a really bad toll. Um, mm-hmm. Entering that, that year um, was one of the worst years of my life. He was born, I think, so 2019 into 2020. Those were some mm-hmm. of the two worst years I think I've ever experienced in my life. Most definitely is when I had the most mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, I began to have panic attacks. I didn't know what they were. Um, and just recently, I've just discovered through um, different material that I'm reading about how to manage anxiety um, to, and to ultimately make it go away. Um, uh, when you have a prolonged period of stress and you don't do something about it, then your body will begin to tell you. Mm-hmm. And I think I managed stress the best that I could the first uh, two-ish years of our marriage But we were hit so hard with so many trials that I've realized that my body just became completely depleted of all my hormones that helped me cope because I had, I had two babies, you know, within, within like, um, 18 months. Um, and, um, so it was, it was around that, that time I had, I had had Heath that I got the next one on birth control implant um because we Isaac and I just realized wow we're you know we haven't we didn't mean to get pregnant these mm-hmm. both times but we have mm-hmm. we in order for my body's sake we knew we had to do something yeah. so we I got the insert about a month or two postpartum and it was it was great there for a little while but it was maybe three two, three months later that I began to have problems. The panic got worse, the -hmm. panic attacks. And I didn't even realize what they were. Panic Mm -hmm. attacks started getting worse. Mm -hmm. Um, crying. I I couldn't stop crying. I would cry for like an hour and I couldn't stop. Um, 
I didn't want, there were times where, I mean, I didn't even want to go to church. It was so bad. Um, just the depression and mm. everything and really just started not being myself anymore. Um, I wasn't as joyful or optimistic as I used to be. I became very bitter just through different things that were going on in my life. I became a very bitter woman and I'm, I'm not by any means out of that yet. The Lord is still really working on me right now with the bitterness. Um, but around that time I went to my doctor and she prescribed all of these natural medications, um, supplements really to help with my mental health. And I did begin to see some help, um, some relief, Mm -hmm. but just recently, um, they weren't enough. Mm -hmm. I, the, I'd had the next plan on for about a year and I mean, having, you know, being able to control you know, not having kids was awesome. And that was hugely relieving in and of itself because, you know, not being able to enjoy intimacy with your husband because you're afraid you're going to get pregnant. It takes a much larger toll on your marriage than you realize. So we were really thinking that the next plan was making me worse because I was into year into a year of having it Mm -hmm. and just every progressive period, because I'm still having a regular Mm -hmm. period on it. I was getting worse and worse. The depression, the ang- the anxiety, the crying, mm-hmm. um, the hopelessness, getting to a point of even being suicidal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really grateful that I had people around me, like my parents and Isaac. Times when I was my I was most deep in the pit, and the worst possible thing could have happened. Mm-hmm. I see God's mercy that Isaac was always there, or a parent, um, and that the Lord kept me from doing any harm to myself, but I was at that, I have been at that point. Um, and so just recently I got the next one on removed about a month ago. I got that, I got that taken out. Um, and I immediately got on some antidepressants and, um, my body is adjusting to the new medications and, um, Adjusting also to not having birth control anymore. My body's starting mm-hmm. to go back to normal, which mm-hmm. is awesome. But I just want to encourage anybody who's listening. If you're, if you think that you're going crazy and you're having dark thoughts and you're not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and you're starting to think that your life is worthless. Um, first of all, I hope that there's other people mm-hmm. in your, in your life to come around you and speak truth into your life. But also realize that there is no shame in saying, I need help. Mm -hmm. That's actually a strength to say, I feel like I'm dying and I need somebody to help me. Mm -hmm. And it's not weak to get on antidepressants. I had um, just this longstanding view for, for, I guess, up until like a month ago that you were less spiritual if you had to get on medications. And that is so, so wrong because just like Mm -hmm. anything else in your body, say you have... You know, say you have a, you know, an infection in your body. Well, your body's not going to necessarily take care of that on its own. So you go to the doctor and they give you antibiotics to get rid of the infection, right? Mm -hmm. Well, why wouldn't you do the same thing with your mental health? If Mm -hmm. you're having depression, if you're having anxiety and panic attacks, if you're having suicidal thoughts, what a lot of times where that's coming from, it, it could be, it could be your DNA. I do have, um, a familial history of depression. Mm -hmm. Not so much the anxiety, but depression. So I just I'm I'm already predisposed to that physically, and then situationally, I would say really examine what your situation is in life. What look at what stresses you can cut out. You know, look at your responsibilities. Look at your commitments. um, Look at even your living situation and see if it's contributing to your anxiety. And do the necessary work to get to a place where where you're in more of a peaceful spot and managing your stress better because um, my, my dad is a police officer and he's been on so many cases where mm. someone has taken their life. And yeah, maybe their mm. life was horrible. Um, of course, he's you know, free not to, he's not free to disclose details, but there are sometimes where people are in such hard situations that death sounds peaceful and it sounds inviting. Um, and there's been times where I have been, where I've been so close, I've been hurting so bad. Um, and my dad has come alongside of me and he's said, you can't believe the wake of pain 
that you would leave behind if you did this. This may seem like the best way, but it's not because nothing is more, you know, you have to think about everybody else. Think about what you do to Isaac. Think about what you do to your children. Think about what you do to all the people that love you. Mm-hmm. Do you really want that to be your legacy? Mm-hmm. And it's really got me thinking. Yeah. Um, and just being a Christian, um, it's hard to admit I'm hopeless. I I feel hopeless. I just want to die. Be- and it's hard to admit that to other believers because we have the greatest hope. There is no other hope aside from Jesus Christ. He he is our joy, our peace, our foundation. Mm-hmm. And why should we as as a people who have the greatest hope how could we struggle mm. in such a way as this mm-hmm. and i've really wrestled with that and just like any other struggle in your life it's not shameful to struggle with depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and i think sometimes that christians are actually more predisposed to it because um we know that we we have a responsibility to live out the Christian walk and even in front of other believers and that can add pressure and oh yeah. what if we do blank then the whole world's gonna you know criticize the Lord and criticize other Christians and you know Christians are are humans too we're sinners mm-hmm. too and our bodies are broken just about just like yeah. everybody else yeah. just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're gonna be exempt from cancer from diabetes from depression anxiety from postpartum depression um mm-hmm. and yeah so just just realizing that it's okay to be a believer and say I'm struggling in this way and to recognize that not all the time is depression and anxiety a sin struggle there are times Mm -hmm. where I believe it is where if you are in a sin and you Mm -hmm. are staying in that sin Mm -hmm. you are going to be depressed because if you have the Holy Spirit within you the Lord is going to chasten you and bring you back to himself Mm -hmm. and sometimes he does that through um he's he's always there but his presence, he may not allow you to feel his presence. And so feeling that void between you and the Lord can cause depression and anxiety, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially if you're hiding in sin. Uh, so having good people into your life to, to um, help point out ways that you may be um, in sin and you don't realize it. Um, and please, if anybody's listening to me that has struggles with depression and anxiety, one of the biggest things that has been a struggle for me is to recognize okay, I'm feeling hopeless, I'm feeling depressed. Is this a spiritual problem or is this a physical problem? Right. And sometimes it's very hard to tell in and of yourself. So that's why it's so important to have other people in your life that you can say, hey, this is what's going on. Do you perceive this as being, does this look like to you on the outside Mm -hmm. as sin or as a physical problem? And sometimes you just need the objectivity of someone else to say, I think that you're having a physical problem here, right. you know? And also just to, uh, one thing I do religiously is, um, keep, keep track of how you're feeling. My, my parents really encouraged me to do this. So I actually have a planner that I keep separate from my calendar. So it's private. Nobody else can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not up for everybody to see, but daily I record how I was feeling was yeah. I hopeless? Was I yeah. depressed? Was I suicidal? Was I happy? Was it a good day? What might have contributed mm-hmm. to that? Um, did Elliot play in his poop again? Is that why I'm really struggling? Um, did I have a fight with my husband? Is that why I'm really struggling? So keeping track of that. Also, for us women, it's important to keep track of that because you may notice it worsening around your right. period. Right. And I have like a week or two before my period, mm-hmm. panic attacks will increase, depression will increase, being fatigued will increase. Mm-hmm. Um, so just watch your watch your body and its patterns and what it's doing because if you're having especially panic attacks that is your body screaming saying there's something wrong we need help and you've got to pay attention to that because Mm -hmm. it's just going to keep getting worse you know it's not one of those things that's going to go away by itself um and you can't necessarily um reason it away either because Mm -hmm. it's you're having a physical response so you know talk closely with your doctor be be vulnerable um you know if you really trust your doctor talk to them about what's going on you know it may be hard to say I'm having struggles in my marriage and that's why I'm so depressed right now um 
And there's just times where you need a little bit of help with the medication. Mm -hmm. The medication for me, I hope to not be on it forever. I hope to establish healthy patterns in my life and and give my body like the the brain boosts that it needs, the nutrients that my brain needs in order to cope with stress. I hope to, um, I I don't know when, it's not in the near future, but to eventually someday have been able to be be weaned off of those antidepressants. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Really good, Abby. <laughs> um, what you pointed out, trying to distinguish between a physical problem or a mental problem or a spiritual problem, that can be really difficult because they all influence so each other so much. Yes, yes. But also, if it is a spiritual problem, it's still a good reason to get help. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're not getting better, you can still go get help for spiritual issues. You yes. can still go, yes. find, you know, reach out to help for mm-hmm. For physical and mental issues, so yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's so hard to be honest. It is. Yeah. It was so hard. I remember to the day that I admitted to my husband, I just want to take my own life. I just want to hurt myself. That is so hard to say because mm. you feel like a weakling. There's all these lies that I have been believing yes. that I'm even yeah. still working on. So I'm by no means out of this, but uh-huh. but. Definitely. If you're feeling, if you're feeling suicidal, call someone, talk to someone, do not be alone because there are times where you feel so hopeless that anything sounds peaceful at that point. Um, so have good people around you. Um, recognize that if you are a woman and you have, you have had a baby that you, you may be having postpartum depression and identify that because I have heard of some very extreme cases where there, some women are just so mentally tortured from the baby blues. Um, you know, it's, it's not a, an opportunity, you know, it's not because we hate our babies. We don't, Mm -hmm. it's not that Mm -hmm. we don't love our babies. It's that, you know, it takes a lot to make another human being, you know, yes. and they're pulling these babies, sweet babies are pulling a yes. lot from your hormones yes. and from your, from just all the reservoirs in your body. Um, you put into making this sweet little human. And so recognize it took a lot of work to make that baby mm-hmm. for nine months mm-hmm. and you're not going to be okay overnight. You know, mm-hmm. the de- even if you're having baby blues, um, postpartum, that's not going to go away immediately. Just mm-hmm. like your belly mm-hmm. is not going to go right back in right. after that baby <laughs> popped out. No, you're going to have a flabby belly for the next little while you know, <laughs> as your body slowly right. starts acclimating right. and being its own again, rather than right. sharing a space with a little human. Yeah. So especially if you are experiencing postpartum depression and if you're having thoughts of harming your baby, talk to somebody you trust, you know, whether it's you know, your husband, your mom, my best mm-hmm. friend, sister, what, whatever, whoever you feel comfortable with saying, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of vomit. This is how I feel. It's better to say it than to keep it locked inside of yourself and to be struggling with those feelings mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. either wanting to hurt your own baby or hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's better to, to just be honest because it's when we're honest that we can find healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Another thing you talked about when your body has gone through stress for so long, and this lines up with research I have done where Mm -hmm. ideally when you're at your healthy baseline and you go through a stress, your cortisol comes out, your adrenaline comes out and it helps you in that moment. Mm -hmm. And then your body eats it up, you know, um, and brings you back down to your baseline. That's our ideal, right? right? But when we have been experiencing that cortisol and adrenaline for so long, now our body can't just lick it back up it now mm-hmm. we're we're going an ongoing like where survival mode yeah, basically. yeah yeah and it's kind of like a constant fight or flight and we can't yeah. get back to our baseline and mm-hmm. that's where times where antidepressants and yes. having support systems or you know whatever it takes to yeah. help your body heal and be able to clean up those hormones again and get you back to your baseline yes. that's what's needed yes. and it's yes. not just a mental spiritual problem like you said it's a physical thing your body isn't it's broken it needs to heal Mm -hmm. it needs to get better Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah and definitely one of the things that helps is uh, I know everybody says this but get outside just Mm -hmm. get outside and thankfully we I my husband and I we live in a home where we're close to woods Mm -hmm. we I mean we've got trees right out our windows and um I can I can go walking in those woods I can go sit by the creek um and just having that time yeah um it, God created this world to be green and for, he even yeah. created our bodies to and our and our minds and our senses to be a, to um 
be attracted to nature and all of that. And so yeah. if, you know, you're in your four walls all day long, get outside, yeah. just yeah. take a, take a walk and you will feel a lot better. There's times where I have taken a walk and it doesn't help as much as I wanted it to, but that is very, very, very rare. Yeah. I mean, most yeah. of the time when I get outside and I yeah. just look at the sun mm-hmm. and I just look at the green around me, you know, whatever season yeah. it is, just getting out in God's creation, yeah. you know, is really intended for mm-hmm. good. There's something really healing about that. It is. It is healing. Yeah. yeah I think I've heard of, um, there's an article I read that I got sent by, um, full script and it's called, um, the article was on, I think it was, it called it, um forest bathing or something i haven't read the article but i think just based off of the the head the, the right, name that, that you know just getting outside and just letting you know the greenery and the birds and the breeze blow through your hair is just it is like you know taking a bath just soaking in yeah. all of that and also just as a believer i love what um cory ten boom's sister said and i think her name was uh, betsy She said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And in depression and anxiety and panic Mm -hmm. attacks, you feel like you're at rock bottom. And Mm -hmm. you know what's great about being at rock bottom is there's only one way left to go, and that's up. And Christ is never going to leave us or forsake us. And I've even just been studying this past week that Christ, God will not give us more than we are able to bear. First Corinthians 10, 13 says that, um, that he will not give us more than we are able to bear, but with the temptation, he will give us mm-hmm. the way of escape, whether the temptation yeah. is to doubt God, like, God, I feel hopeless. Where are you? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, that's an opportunity for us to doubt God mm-hmm. and think that he's utterly forsaken us. But one thing my dad has said to me, that's really encouraging. He's, he's told me, sweetheart, there's been times where God has walked you through something or allowed you to go through something because he knows, um, that he's going to sustain you through it. He knows that this is what you need. Mm-hmm. And, to all of you who are listening with the pre- that have depression and anxiety, I I'm still in the thick of it too, and I can't say, "Yay, depression and anxiety is the best thing for me," and God tailored that to, you know to my life, and He knew that would be best. I I by no means can really say that right now. Like, oh great, panic attack. This is the best thing for me. No, no, and I don't and I don't think God wants us to to necessarily um delight in the suffering he wants us to cling to him Mm -hmm. through it and to use it as an opportunity to draw closer to him and there's times where i have been at rock bottom and my husband has been there for me and all he's done is just talked about the goodness of christ and that Mm -hmm. raises me back up because that's my hope Mm -hmm. in in life my hope is not found in my husband um or myself because obviously i'm at rock bottom there's no hope there my hope Mm -hmm. is in jesus christ and ultimately Mm -hmm. i don't know how long i'm going to struggle with depression and anxiety and panic attacks. I'm trying to get a better to a better place physically and mentally and I have help and I'm so grateful for that. But ultimately, I know that at the end of the road is heaven. Mm-hmm. And someday, I don't know when I'm going to die and I'm going to be in the arms of Jesus and no more will I struggle with that pain mm-hmm. and it'll be over with and that is ultimately the Christian's mm-hmm. hope is eternity without pain or suffering and that's what i that's what i look forward to and knowing that christ is holding on to me even if i can't feel him knowing that god is holding on to me and he will not let me be taken under and Mm -hmm. and he will not let me drown he's going to be there and Mm -hmm. one thing that's really helped me in the midst of this struggle is to look where's god's goodness in this Mm -hmm. and the biggest thing is um I have, I have clean clothes. I have good food to eat. I have water to drink. Um, I'm. I have got good people. Okay, we've only had three interruptions so far. We're doing good. <laughs> um, thank you for being so vulnerable. Like those are really hard things. I feel like when anxiety and depression is brought up in Christians, I always hear people kind of raise their hand and say yeah me too you know like and it happens way more than we talk about because there is yeah. this idea of like I have the greatest hope on earth why 
I shouldn't be struggling with this, yes. you know? Yes, I agree. Um, so thank you. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and it, I mean, yeah, the worst thing you can do is just stay in it and not get any yeah. help. You yeah. know, uh, someone who's been encouragement to me is actually Charles Spurgeon because he really struggled with okay. depression. And I when I read, that. yeah, especially in his, um, morning and evening, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. what he wrote, uh, I can resonate quite a bit with what he says. And a lot of his trains of thought, I really, I really, um, I get what he's saying. I understand it. Um, but he's, uh, recently our pastor was even just talking about Charles Spurgeon. He had, um, horrible suffering. I want to say even his wife had a lot of health issues. They were just, they both really suffered on this earth. Um, and, uh, when Spurgeon talks about how deep his pit has been, mm. I'm like, yeah, I get it, bro. Mm-hmm. I, I understand it. So knowing that somebody who's been such a foundational, um, forefather in our mm-hmm. faith that he can say, and, and even think about, you know, uh, David, an example mm-hmm. for, you know, in the Psalms that he right, really poured right. out his heart and he got hopeless too. But notice that most of the end of the Psalms, he says, but my heart trusts in your unfailing yeah. love and I'll rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he oh. has been good to me. And so he may just talk about how awful it is and how he's being hunted like a dog or yeah. something like that. And then at the end of it, he, he doesn't let go of that hope. He doesn't let go of that lifeline. Yeah. And yeah. That's so good. We're at yeah. like exactly an hour. Wow. So like we did good. And it felt like no time. Thank no, you no. so much, Abby. You're such a dear friend and I, you as I just well. appreciate you so much. <laughs> I don't know what I do without you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, we can wrap up here. Thank you, Abby. Yes, of course. <laughs>